Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 17. I'm going to call this section Satan Thrown Down to Earth. Our context is this. The first six verses of chapter 12 concerned the woman in the wilderness being chased by the dragon. The woman in the wilderness signifies the Old Testament and New Testament, the Old Covenant and New Covenant people of God. They were the church. They were run out of Jerusalem when the armies that caused the abomination of desolation surrounded the city. Then they inexplicably withdrew under the Roman general Cestius Gallus. The zealots chased them, leaving the Christians free to obey Jesus' command to flee the city and go to Pella, to the northeast across the Jordan River, where they were protected in the wilderness. Now, that background is important to show that this is what this symbol means, this woman being protected in the wilderness. She was literally being protected in a place called Pella, as recorded by Eusebius of Caesarea, the famous 4th century church historian. Now, she was nourished there for 1260 days, which, of course, is the time of the Jewish war, three and a half years, which is how long it was between Cestius Gallus's withdrawal and the burning of the city by Titus in August of 70. So, we start now with Revelation 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And, of course, the dragon, that's an easy symbol. He's, he's identified as Satan, actually, I think, in verse 9. So that's the devil. And he's waging war with Michael and his angels. Now, this stuff about what happened before the fall and the demons and warring against angels is something that I've always been a little bit fuzzy about, I think, because there's very little in the scriptures that talk about it. So I'm not going to talk about it, but except to address one potential problem. Why is all this warfare going on in heaven when, we, when we're going to see in just a little bit that the angels and the devil were thrown down to earth in verse 9, verses 8 and 9, the next two verses? How can there be a conflict in heaven when the demon was cast down to earth? Well, this is it's, the answer to this is you can't use strict chronology in the book of Revelation. John is just looking back to the conflict that got Satan thrown down to earth, his Satan's rebellion against the good angels. Now, I said Michael is one of the archangels. It was an angel, and of course, he's one of the famous archangels. But many theologians say that he is a symbol for Jesus, that Michael is really Jesus, and the angels refer to Jesus as apostles, and then therefore Jesus and his apostles are fighting the devil. That would fit the imagery go to the, from now to the rest of the chapter fine, but I don't really don't believe it is. Albert Barnes says that this Michael refers to the real Michael and not Jesus. Barnes says if John had met Jesus, had met Jesus, he would have just said so or used a common symbol for him like an angel. Well, maybe so. If you go to the book of Daniel, Barnes says Michael there is portrayed as the guardian angel of the people of God, and so and here he's the guardian of the people of God in the wilderness, so it makes sense to say he's Michael. So I'm going to assume he's Michael, the archangel. We go now to verses 8 and 9, and they were not strong enough. That's referring to the dragon and his angels. In the verse 7, the dragon and his angels waged war. Verse 8, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. In other words, they got thrown down. Verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and the angels were thrown down with him. So here we see that the devil utterly loses by that phrase, thrown down. 
the gates of hell shall not prevail against Jesus' church, Matthew 16, 18. And I also say to you, Jesus says, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will not overpower it, my church. Note that a city with gates is always on the defensive. Have you ever seen a city gate grab swords in its hand and go marching out on the offense to kill its enemies? No. A city gate is defensive. There's many people have pointed this out. I used to always think it was an optional view to say that the, the gates of Hades will not overpower. It was talking about the city defending itself from the onslaught of the church's forces. But actually, it's logical, too. It's not just optional. It's logically certain. A city gate cannot be on the offensive. It has to be on the defensive. So that means that Jesus is saying the church is going to charge the gates of Hades, the gates of death, the gates of hell. The, the church is going to charge, and we're going to win. Again, this fits in with the overall theme of dominion and victory in the book of Revelation. We're going to overcome with the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. The devil's going to lose. He's thrown down. He's called a serpent, just like in the Garden of Eden. That's a common symbol for the devil. Serpents and scorpions, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions. He's called the devil and Satan. The meaning of devil is slanderer. The meaning of Satan is adversary. So the devil is the slanderer and the adversary of the church who deceives the whole world. He slanders the church. He's the adversary of the church. And then as far as his relationship with the world, he deceives them into thinking, oh, you don't really need God. Oh, God doesn't exist. Oh, the devil's a wonderful thing. Oh, snorting that coke or having sex with that cute young hottie that ain't your wife. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Everything will be just fine. Oh, yeah. No, it won't be. Listen to some of the lies about the early church that the devil has come up with as it tries to deceive the world about the church. The church were apostates because they had left Judaism. They were atheists because they had no special religious temples. They were ritual murderers because of the Lord's Supper. You know, they eat his flesh, eat his blood, drink his blood, so therefore they must have murdered somebody in that Lord's Supper agape love feast. They were cannibals because not only did they kill somebody, maybe even babies, in the Lord's Supper, they were drinking the blood. They were social revolutionaries because they proclaimed a kingdom. That was a lie the Jews used against the church trying to lie to the Romans in order to get Jesus killed. And most of all, they were haters of mankind. Lies, lies, and more lies. And of course, the same lies are, or similar accusations and slanders are popping up against the church in America as I speak. So that's not going to stop. The origin of those lies is the devil. But that's the bad news. The good news is, is this devil, this dragon, who was responsible for all this was thrown down. Thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown with him. His angels, of course, are his demons. Now, this thrown down is a form of the Greek word balo. Ekbalo is the Greek word that's used when demons are cast out in the Gospels. Thrown out, ek is out, balo is throw. For example, in Matthew 7:22, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name? Sometimes it's translated as cast out, thrown out. Well, that's very similar to thrown down. The Greek is very close, balo and ekbalo. So the idea is the devil has lost because Jesus is casting him out when, he is, when the devil is thrown down to the earth. The devil utterly loses. Remember, Revelation is a book of victory for the church, dominion of the church. The church, along with its Lord, will rule the nations with a scepter, with a rod of iron. 
Revelation 12, verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven, that's I, John, heard a loud voice in heaven, saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren, Satan means accuser, the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, thrown down to the earth, he who accuses them before our God day and night. So the devil's working day and night to accuse them before our God, but of course God's just laughing at that because we're covered with his blood. Accusation has the sense of a legal accusation, a charge. They're guilty, they're sinners, they're mine. And God says, well, no, on the account that Jesus has already paid his blood for their sins, they're actually mine, so your accusations will fall short, devil. Get out of here. Now there's a key time indicator in this verse. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, N-O-W, now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God has come. Well, this is an indication that the kingdom of God is already and not yet. The futurists love to talk about the kingdom not yet, but Orthodox preterists like to balance that off by saying, well, yeah, but the kingdom of God is here now, is now and not yet. The kingdom has already come now, not 2,000 years in the future. Matthew 28:18, Jesus came near and said to them, this is after he had resurrected. They had gone up to Galilee for a last meeting before he was resurrected before he was ascended, and Jesus told, told his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. All authority. And Jesus had said in Matthew twelve twenty eight, if I drive out demons, cast them out, ekbalo, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So if Jesus drove out demons, then the kingdom of God's already here, has come. That's past tense, past perfect tense. Has come. Actually, that's not past perfect, it's just past. Then the kingdom of God, well, maybe it's the present perfect tense. The point is, it's a form of, it is a kind of past tense. The kingdom of God is already here. Because when did Jesus cast out devils? Remember, he says, if I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come. Well, did Jesus cast out devils? Well, as a matter of fact, yes, he did. Now, let's show Jesus casting out demons, which indicates his inauguration of the kingdom of God. Remember, he said, if I cast out demons and the kingdom of God has come, did he cast out demons? Well, let's look at Luke 10, verses 17 through 20. The 72 returned with joy. That's the 72 disciples that Jesus sent out on a mission trip, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, there's that imagery of falling from heaven, just like in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. John said, I saw Satan fall from heaven and his angels with him. Jesus said, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. When? When the apostles were out there casting out demons. Jesus continues in Luke 10, verse 19. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, typical symbols of the demons, and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. So, Satan has fallen. The kingdom of God is here. How about Matthew 10, 7? And as you go preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is at hand. The kingdom is here now, N-O-W. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. When was Jesus talking about? He was talking about his disciples going around ministering in Galilee, casting out demons. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand when the demons are cast out. Because Jesus said in Matthew 12:28, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I'm beating a dead horse here, trying to overcome the futurist biases that some of you might have. John 12:31. now, N-O-W, is the judgment of this world. Now, N-O-W, shall the prince of this world be cast out. Ekbalo, cast out, same word. 
Same word is used in Revelation 12.10 with, with the intensifying prefix put on it, ek. It's basically both of them have the root word balo. The devil is cast out. He's thrown down from heaven. Now the prince of this world is cast out, John says in John 12.31. Colossians 2.15. He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. When did Jesus do that? It had, that was at the cross. Was that in some far off millennial future when the Satan when Satan was bound? No, Satan was bound at the cross. Jesus triumphed over the devil. Now, when John was writing, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, as his death, Jesus' death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So when did Jesus beat the one that had the power of death, the devil? At the cross. It says through death, that means his death on the cross. He destroyed the power of the devil and delivered us. That happened at the first advent, not at the second, 2,000 plus years after John wrote. Romans 16:20. the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Soon, John wrote, uh, Paul wrote Romans in about roughly 55, 56 A.D. Soon, A.D. 70, when the Jewish kingdom the big, the big synagogue of Satan in Jerusalem was torn down by God's judgment. That was in AD 70, so you're talking about 15 or so years later. That's soon God crushed Satan. So you see a lot of activity of the devil being beat and the establishment of the kingdom was happening right there in the first century AD, not 2,000 years plus in the future. So let's go back and read Revelation 12:10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now! The salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. Has been. Not will be, but has been. Let me repeat that. The accuser of our brethren, the devil, Satan, has been thrown down. Not will be thrown down, but he has been thrown down. Thrown down. That's some good news, folks. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they, that's the, the brethren who had been accused by the devil, and they, Christians, overcame him, Satan, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Overcame. That would be in the past, at least at the time of the vision. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. Notice how it is still possible to be an overcomer even if you lose your life. Jesus never promised that Christians wouldn't get martyred. He said, in fact, that they will kill some of you as they persecute you from synagogue to synagogue. So there were Christians that kill. I mean, look at Peter and Paul. They were, by tradition, very good church tradition, I think. They were killed in Rome. So yeah, Christians could be killed, but they still overcame because they had the resurrection power of Christ working with them. So the overcomers did not love their life even when faced with death. If you're about to die, they said, no, I'm not going to recant. I'm not going to turn my back on Jesus. I'll just have to die. Like, what was it, Polybius? No, excuse me, not Polybius. Polycarp, when he was about to be executed by the Romans, he says, how can I deny him after I've loved him all these years? You can't. Christians love Jesus so much that they will face death and still overcome. Even if they die, they're going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 12, verse 12. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the land and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Now you notice that 
people in the heavens are rejoicing. People in the heavens, that would be the angels, and that would be Christians or believers, Old Testament, New Testament believers, are rejoicing. Why are they rejoicing? Because of God's dominion and victory over his evil enemies. And that just shows that there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with rejoicing over the fall of God's enemies. I pray every day for the fall of God's enemies in my present-day culture, America, in September of 2020. There has been an outbreak of anti-Christian baloney sausage all through the colleges in America for the last 10 or 20 years or so, and now it's seeped out into the media and into a particular political party whose ugly name I'm not going to mention, but it's everywhere, and I pray that God beats them, and when he does, assuming I'm alive to see it, and I hope I will be, then I'm going to rejoice over it. Nothing wrong with that. Now, the people in heaven are rejoicing in verse 12, but people on the land of the sea are not rejoicing. Woe to the land and the sea. Now, the land, of course, is the typical symbol of apostate rabbinic Israel, and the sea is the typical metaphor for the Gentile nations, as I've said in previous audios, and that's not very controversial. But let me mention that if the sea stands for Gentiles, who in particular, or what entity, what political entity in particular stands for the Gentiles, that would be the Roman Empire, the sea beast in the next chapter, which we'll get to next audio, Revelation 13, 1 through 2, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. Is your ten horns and seven heads? That's, that's Rome. We'll get into that later. So the sea is the Roman Empire, the land is apostate Israel, and that illustrates one of the major themes of Revelation, that they were two political enemies, entities, who were enemies of the church, and that's the Roman Empire and apostate rabbinic Judaism. And there's going to be woe on them, because the devil has come down to you, like the devil got thrown out of heaven, so he can't do any more rebellion up in heaven, so now he's going to do his work on earth, see what he can get by with. But remember, we have overcome the devil by the word of our testimony and the blood of our Lamb. But the devil is still, even though he might know he's overcome, he still has great wrath. Well, actually, he knows that this verse 12 says he knows that he has only a short time because those two kingdoms were going to get wiped out fairly soon. It took Rome a little while to die. It died a gradual death. Israel died a punctuated death in eighty seventy, but they were, they were taken out. And the devil lost that battle. He's still working, but he's losing because the gospel is spreading. When the book of Revelation in Revelation 20 says the devil is bound, it doesn't mean that he's not able to do bad stuff amongst the, his worldlings. It means that he is bound in his ability to stop the spread of the gospel. And the gospel has been spreading. We're up to over a billion Christians now on the earth. And may the number continue to rise. So the devil has come down to the sea and the land, the Roman Empire and the land of Israel. And this is Jesus' territory and Satan is trespassing on it. How do we know it's Jesus' territory? Let's look at Revelation 10, 1 through 2. You remember in that chapter we had an angel, another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Let me read that. Verse 1 and 2, Revelation 10. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was, as it were, the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Now, I showed you in when I went over Revelation 10 that that's obviously referring to Jesus. I don't think there's any question about that. And verse 2, Revelation 10. And he had in his hand a little book open, a scroll. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the land. Sea. He's over the Roman Empire, his left foot on the land. He's over the apostate Jewish pharisaical kingdom that murdered Jesus and the prophets. He's in charge. Here's what Chilton says about this scene. The dragon will seek to stir up land and sea, land being Israel, sea being Rome, 
The dragon will seek to stir up land and sea, first in a demonic partnership against the church, and then in a war against each other in order to crush the church between them. We haven't seen yet when the Romans and the, and the Jews end up turning on each other. That would be at the Jewish war. But until then, they were both, both united against the church, as you see Paul going through the book of Acts. The Jews denounce him before the Romans. They take him before the Roman magistrates. And you can see them all getting there together, trying to crush him out. How about Paul? After the third journey, it was the Jews who took him before the Roman authorities. But then they're going to turn on each other when they start fighting each other. That'll be fun. That's when the whole Babylon gets ripped to shreds and burn up. We'll get to that shortly. Now notice in verse 12 that the devil has come down, come down to the earth, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Well, now, if this is referring to when the devil is going to be thrown into the lake of fire, when he's thrown down at the end of time, I guess that's what most futurists would say. How do we explain that word short? S-H-O-R-T. 2,000 plus years is short? Short. Another time indicator in the book of Revelation, utterly ignored usually by futurists who are so soaked in their philosophical presuppositions that they can't notice the obvious. We go now to Revelation 12, verse 13. And when the dragon, that's the devil, and when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the land, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, or the woman we've already seen in the last audio is stands for the church. Because, well, actually, at first she stood for Old Testament, the Old Testament assembly of God. I hate to use that word church. That, that raises some theological hackles among certain people, so we'll just call it the Old Testament people of God, Israel. She gave birth to the Messiah. The male child is the Messiah. And then the woman becomes the new, new Israel, the New Testament people of God, when she's chased into the wilderness. And as I said earlier, the reason the devil persecutes the church is because he's already been defeated in heaven. Can't do any more mischief up there, so he comes down and try to get the earth. He tries to get the church. Now, he persecuted that woman. The woman is now the church. The, the church had to flee Israel and go to Pella. And if the church had not escaped the pillar during the siege of Jerusalem, it would have been destroyed. But Jesus in his Olivet Discourse said, when you see the armies that surround Jerusalem, flee. And the church did that. We go to Revelation 12, verse 14. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. That's the devil, the dragon. Two wings of a great eagle. Now, Old Testament Israel was preserved in the wilderness just like New Testament Israel was. And we can see that Moses and Exodus used the same eagle imagery to, to describe the preservation of the people of God. Exodus 19.4. This is what God is saying to Moses. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So, Old Testament Israel was carried on eagle wings into the wilderness. And so... The church was protected with eagle wings. Likewise, the New Testament church is protected with eagle wings. So she could fly into the wilderness to her place. Now, the escape of the Jewish believers from the Roman invasions during the Jewish war is something I've talked about many times. I've talked about it so much that I've got it memorized in my head. But I'm going to quote directly from the Olivet Discourse where Jesus spoke. And then I'm going to quote from D.D. Warren's commentary on the Olivet Discourse to talk about how the Christians, how the church escaped the devil by fleeing to the wilderness. 
Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15 through 22, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy, that's the holy place, and it's actually the holy blank in the holy land, let the reader understand that those in Judea must flee to the mountains. That's exactly what they did. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved, but those days will be cut short because of the elect for the church. Now, Josephus, or excuse me, uh, Eusebius of Caesarea tells us exactly what happened. Let me give you the story from D.D. Warren's commentary on the Olivet Discourse called It's Not the End of the World. Clever title. Now one may ask, quote, quote, now one may ask, how can one flee if a city is surrounded? That seems like a pretty inane command. Well, history gives a remarkable reason and proof of Christ's foreknowledge of this event, why Christ gave this command. When the Roman armies led by Cestius Gallus first surrounded Jerusalem, they had to unexpectedly withdraw due to civil war and strife fomenting in the capital. Well, D.D. Warren says that, that that's why Gallus withdrew. Actually, the historians are not so sure they debate why he withdrew. Most people just throw their hands up and say they don't know why he withdrew. But the point is, is he withdrew. D.D. Warren continues, at this point, the Christians, remembering Christ's words, fled the city. History records not one Christian being lost in this siege. We know that from Eusebius of Caesarea. D.D. Warren continues, the apostate Jews of that time, more particularly the zealots, mistakenly believed that God had miraculously delivered them and stirred up the city, hardening it in its apostasy from Rome. This is quite remarkable and a goosebump-giving sign of divine providence. Also, one must consider the timing of the beginning of the siege. It was during the time when the Jewish people of that time flocked to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. It would have been highly counterintuitive of the disciples to flee because a walled city offers much protection. But flee they did. Now, I mentioned Eusebius of Caesarea. Let me quote from him. Quote, but before the war, the people of the Church of Jerusalem were bidden in an oracle given by revelation to men worthy of it. That's talking about Jesus to depart from the city and dwell in a city of Perea called Pella. To it, those who believed in Christ migrated from Jerusalem. Once the holy men had completely left the Jews in all Judea, the justice of God at last overtook them since they had committed such transgressions against Christ and his apostles. Divine justice completely blotted out that impious generation from among men. So you see, Eusebius is aware of what was going on. It's not just Orthodox preterist. So that is how. The woman in the wilderness was preserved with two wings of an eagle. She was nourished there in the wilderness for a time and times and half a time. And Pella, time, time and half a time, that's three and a half years, which is exactly how long the Jewish war lasted. And so she was protected for those three and a half years. Now, Chilton says time, times and half a time should not be taken literally, but it's a symbol of a time of persecution and oppression as what was happening to Jerusalem during that time. And I don't doubt that, but still, the timing is just too close to pass without saying that it's probably literally fulfilled three and a half years in the desert, in the wilderness, at Pella. We go now to Revelation 12, verse 15. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. Now remember, the Old Testament Israel was likened unto a, a woman, not in this audio, but a previous audio, over and over and over and over again, Israel is called a woman. Talked about her breast and her hair and her wearing beautiful jewelry. Israel, Israel, Israel is a woman. That's easy. So the woman in the Old Testament, the Old Testament people of God, almost got drowned by the Red Sea. But they were they went through the Red Sea and they were preserved from the water. Likewise, here in Revelation 12:15, we've got 
the serpent, the devil pouring water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, trying to drown the new covenant people of God, just like he tried to drown the old covenant people of God. But what happens? Well, we'll see in the next verse what's happened. I'll give you a heads up. The devil failed. The water failed to drown the people. You know, Pharaoh escaped, chased after escaping Israel all the way to the edge of the Red Sea. The Israelites went, the the wind blew the waters apart, the waters parted, the Israelites went through, and they didn't get drowned. The water didn't get them. We go down to Revelation 12, 16. The devil has poured water out of his mouth. The water's coming after the woman in the wilderness. Verse 16, Revelation 12, But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth, and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So once again, water failed to get the people of God. So we see the church is always preserved in the midst of persecution. God's got a way of doing that. He preserved the people of God, the righteous Noah, and the eight people in the boat when he put judgment all over the world. And likewise, he's preserved the church as he pours out horrible judgment on apostate Israel. So the New Testament people of God were saved, just like the Old Covenant people of God were saved. The New Covenant people of God were saved from the New Egypt, the city which is mystically called Egypt, Revelation 11.8. There, that's the two witnesses, the witness of the church. Their dead bodies will lie in the main street of the great city, that's Jerusalem, which figuratively is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So Jerusalem is figuratively called Egypt, and so Jerusalem is the New Egypt, and the New Egypt failed to drown the people of God failed to see them drowned in the Red Sea in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in the book of Revelation. The water out of the devil's mouth failed to get the woman, representing the New Covenant people of God. Revelation 12, verse 17, So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, who who were the rest of the children of that woman? That's the predominantly Gentile church outside of Jerusalem all of whom were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And this gives a perfect transition to the next verse, chapter 13, which is all about, the first part of which, is all about the sea beast, the Roman Empire. So the devil's going off to try to get all the Christians under the sway of the Roman Empire. Remember, there's two persecuting entities of the church in the book of Revelation. One is apostate Israel and the other is the Roman Empire. Now we have a minor little problem here, is how can... The woman's children be called the church, and the woman be the church too. Well, that's not hard. Galatians 4.26, Paul says this, But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Okay, that's the heavenly Jerusalem, the people of God. She's our mother. Well, if she's our mother, and Paul is her child, Paul and his fellow Galatians are his child, then we got a mother representing the church, and we got the children being the church. So Jerusalem is the mother, and the new Jerusalem is the children. Not a problem. How about the phrase, daughters of Jerusalem? That refers to the population of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the mother, the daughters of Jerusalem are the daughters. Well, if Jerusalem is the mother, that that means the people of Jerusalem, and the daughters of Jerusalem, the population of Jerusalem, so mother and daughters are the same. It's not a problem. I'll give you another example in the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 9, verses 11 and 14. Sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Zion is the typical symbol of the church or the people of God, I guess, in the Old Testament. Declare among the people his doings that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. So you got praise for the people that live in Zion and then praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. So you got Zion, Jerusalem, and the daughter of Zion is also Jerusalem. So you don't have any problem with the mother and the daughter represent the same thing. Not a problem, folks.
So now we are ready to go to Revelation 13 and talk about the sea beast, the rest of the children of the woman, how they're being persecuted by the nasty Roman Empire. We'll take that up in our next audio. I hope you stay tuned for that one, and I hope you enjoyed this one.